listening to The Chartographers. The Chartographers. It is a music-loving podcast for music-loving people. We take every single album by a particular artist. We rank it from worst <laughs> to first. And guys, listen, uh, we ourselves on the back end, we took a little bit of a break because we had a whole bunch of stuff that we had to go through, but we needed some time to get through the most albums we've ever done in a single artist ever. We're doing 16 albums a day because we're tackling, according to the trailer of Running Down a Dream, <laughs> the truest American rock band. I don't know how you interpret that, but that's a real thing. That's right, guys. This week, we decided to go straight into the heart of Americana. We are going to talk about the one, the only, well, arguably the greatest rock artist to ever emerge from Florida. That's right, guys. We're talking about Tom Petty. Woo! Uh, mud crunch if you're nasty. So uh, Tom Petty, uh, basically, he, I mean, literally, the thing is, he started out as a young kid. I mean, he saw the Beatles on TV. That had a big effect on him, born in 1950. And the thing is that when he was actually on the set of a film that Elvis was doing in Florida at the time, seeing Elvis was the thing. It's just like, I want to be a musician. That's cool. That's awesome. And, like, created the rest of his life around that. He formed a lot of bands, or the epics. Of course, there was Mud Crutch, and then he moved out to L.A. and just started grinding, and he was signed to deals, and Mud Crutch never came into anything. And then eventually, like, his other bandmates kind of had their own thing, and it became Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And he's made it known a couple times. Tom Petty is a notorious asshole, and we're going to get into some of the most <laughs> wonderful things. We've talked about a lot of those, not just on this podcast, right. but specifically this season. Mm-hmm. There have been a lot of just like, wow, you're a dick, but you're so talented. <laughs> right. So, so we're... we're to pass it, you know, and so, you know, he tragically uh, was taken from us uh, probably too soon, but just very recently, but we have a lot of feelings, and we have a lot of albums to get through, and I'm so excited to do it. This, for me, personally, has been an interesting dive into a discography that's like, he's one of the most consistent songwriters I think we've ever dealt with. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Just like, you know, even, even when, just the sheer number of songs that we're talking about here... The fact that he has as many as he does that are just incredible is really speaks to his craft and his skill. And and he right out the gate, he had what it took to make just an amazing like pop rock song. Yeah. And I'm so pumped. I know. And the thing is, I'll also think, not to give too many spoilers here, this is one of the only times ever that I've listened to a discography going in cold, and I emerged out of it the first listen, like, I know what my number one is. Sometimes I say, like, in this podcast, like, sometimes I don't know, but, like, this one, I know. But here's the thing. Anyone can talk about it, but we are talking about who's the we. Let me tell you first off, there's me. I'm Evan Soddy. You might know me as the interviews editor of Pop Matters. I've written for other places, but most importantly, I hope you know me as the wackadoo host of this podcast, the pirate radio station that this is. Uh, I thank you all for listening, especially you people on Reddit. You're so nice. And uh, <laughs> the other thing I want to say is that, well, it's cool and I love this podcast dearly. If you've listened to any episode, then you know the person sitting next to me, the Mike Campbell to my Tom Petty. That's right, guys. We're talking about Taryn O'Reilly, co-creator. Hey. How you doing? I am so excited. This has been like such a fun journey and Surprising. I, yeah, you know, and obviously, like, Tom Petty is iconic. I knew probably a dozen songs already, but just, like, diving into everything, there's just so, there were so many surprises and so many collaborations sounds and, and collaborations. Yeah. And, and, yeah, his style, while th- there is a very solid Tom Thready, you know, <laughs> Tom Thready, Tom, Tom Petty thread. <laughs> 
clothing line. Shut up. I, great, actually, that's kind great of genius. I know. I might steal that. Yeah. Um, Pay for it with welcome. your petty cash. Yeah. <laughs> Pay for it with petty cash. The new app. So. Um, but no, oh it's just God. like his his like his melodies sit in a certain realm, but just the production is, you know, he works with so many different people that bring out different sides of him. And it's just so incredible how, you know, low key spoiler alert, how like 20 years into his career, he was writing some of the best songs he had ever made. Yep. Um, and that is a rare feat. And so I'm just, I love hypnotic guy too. It's so good. (laughs) Uh, but here's the thing. You and I can have a long debate about Tom Petty, but but the thing is that you and I can do it, but we couldn't do it alone. We need to have a guest. So we needed to bring in the guest. That's right. She grew up with Tom Petty. She has had it in her life forever. She is also the world's foremost mermaid enthusiast. Mm -hmm. And on top Mm -hmm. of that, love meow meows. And most importantly, is a former guest. You may have heard her on our Fallout Boy episode from season one. She's back in studio. Nico Vasca! Woo! How are you doing? So I didn't think this was the one I was going to do next. Oh, what did you think? So I asked before, I said, how do you pick this and how do you do it? I thought Modest Mouse was going to be my next, like, appearance. So when you guys asked for Tom Petty, I was like, oh... Um. <laughs> it's a little more intimate. It's a little bit more uh, like roots of like spirituality for me because really? music is super spiritual for me. And so he's sort of like the like a building block. He's like a disciple a for me yeah. of like music, period. Like yeah. he's one of the maybe he's one of the three wise men or something, but he's like an usher of him, music. Isaac Brock and someone else. Yeah, we'll figure that out. Maybe. <laughs> Well, great. Well, listen, I'm excited to talk about, we have a lot of opinions. We've been listening for the past two weeks and we've been watching documentaries and doing the whole damn thing, including watch the trailer for She's the One. Looks terrible. Don't watch it. Oh but most God. importantly, no, no, no. Watch, it, watch, it, watch, it. <laughs> watch the trailer, not the movie. But here's the thing. <laughs> There's Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Tom Petty has a couple other groups. He, of course, has a super group, the Traveling Wilburys with Roy Orbison and Bob Dylan and all that. And then he also has, of course, Mud Crutch, his original band that they kind of revived in 2008 and kind of kept going for two albums. But the thing is that we're talking about Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And that means, yes, we are including the three Tom Petty solo albums. Because really, the Heartbreakers are involved in all of them. They're kind of like helping out with production and yeah. songwriting duties. And like, yeah. They toured on it, kind of pissing them off a little bit. Mike Campbell still has just as many songwriting credits <laughs> as he does anywhere else in the discography. Mm-hmm. So, it, yeah, it very much feels like... It, and especially because he'll keep working with the same producer. Uh-huh. Like, he works with Jeff Lynn and with... Traveling Wilburys, and then with his solo album, and then with the next Heartbreakers album, and then he does the same thing with Jimmy Rick Rubin. Yeah. So it's like, it's very much, it feels part of the same thread. Where exactly. It's like, but, there's so many voices in Traveling Wilburys, but like also include that here. Yeah, and if we were talking about Top of the Heartbreakers, we were talking about the album that has fucking Free Fall on it, like, that what would the just fuck be are you so doing? so idiotic. Right, yeah. exactly. So that means, guys, we have 16 albums. What are they? Let me tell you. There is 1976's Rock and Roll debut, Top Petty the Heartbreakers. There is the sequel to that, 1978's You're Gonna Get It. There's the big mainstream breakthrough that was 1979's Dab the Torpedoes. There was a uh, sequel to that with a couple Stevie Nicks. <laughs> cameos on there, 1981's Hard Promises. There's the album that's called uh, Long After Dark in 1982. There is the little bit more psychedelic, little bit weirder Dave Stewart produced album Southern Accents from 1985. <laughs> there is uh, Let Me Up, I've Had Enough, his Bob Dylan post album 19, from 1987. There is the first Tom Petty solo album Full Moon Fever from 1989. There is the Jeff Lynn produced uh, Maxi album Into the Great Wide Open from 1991. There is the second Tom Petty solo album, the Rick Rubin produced acoustic thing Wildflowers from 1994. There is the Songs and 
music from She's the One, 1996. There is the kind of modernish, let's call it an album, uh, Echo from 1999. There is the scathing music industry screen that is 19, I mean, 2002 is the last DJ. There is the third and final Tom Petty solo album, which is Highway Companion in 2006. There is the blues-inspired <laughs> Mojo from 2010. And there is the psychedelic throwback that is Hypnotic Eye 2014, which ironically is the first and only album chart topper that Heartbreakers ever had, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Way ironic. Yeah, so considering that we're not doing Wilburys or Mud Crutch, that kind of covers it all. 16 albums, 16 slots. I think that is the most words you ever said during that <laughs> like long introductory yeah. listing all the albums. If you uh, charting was... fans out there, if you want to transcribe that for me and get that as a back-to-two, <laughs> transcribe the kid as a back-to-two, that'd be great. Uh, so most importantly, though, we got 16 albums, 16 slots, and guess what? We have a guest in studio, so Nico Pashka. We're going to talk about we're gonna oh rank God. it. We're open to ideas. As always, I would love to hear some arguments because I can be sweeted on a couple things. But number 16. Taryn and I never agree. So I'm so excited always... for this. But just out of curiosity, what would you nominate <sighs> as the worst Tom Petty album? Like a bloated raccoon? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a toss-up. So I think I don't have any connection to Last DJ, and I never saw the movie She's the One. And so I think between those two... That's a nice, easy hack off the bottom. Um, so I'd say probably one of those two. Okay. Well, there's a couple things to get in there. I think we could probably start by talking about The Last DJ. <laughs> uh, because Tom Petty, he's been notorious for uh, not really being down with the music industry, despite the fact that he's profited greatly for the music industry. He sold 80 million albums worldwide. Dude's very successful, which is great. But the biggest thing is that, like, you consider, like, Damn the Torpedoes came out after MCA got absorbed, you know, MCA absorbs his previous record company. So in renegotiating his contract, he filed for bankruptcy, which created a loophole. He was, and, like, the first one to do that. Right. And, like, mm-hmm. the music industry got scared. Yeah, and, he, yeah, he managed to successfully renegotiate his royalty rates. And, and then finally, he was one of the first people making, like, real millionaire rock star money from his album sales. And then with Hard Promises, he found out that because he was so successful after Damn the Torpedoes, they're just like, you know what? We're going to raise the price of your album one dollar. Yeah. And he was like, fuck that. I want the fans to have... He, like, held rallies outside the record company. Yeah, Yeah. they were trying to raise it to $9.98. And so he was, like, threatening to either not turn in the album at all or name it... 898. Yeah. They did a tour called like Lawsuit Tour, like Get Money Tour. <laughs> yeah. They made t shirts and stuff and they went around. Yeah, no, there are some really great stories about how he uh, kind of went after the record companies. The great story about him um, picking his nails with a pen knife to just sort of give this I don't give a fuck idea to the record company and he never folded and it, it, um, it well, worked. It, he never backed down. Well, and, and true. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I mean, there's Into the Great Wide Open. And so it's weird for the last DJ to come out in 2002 and to be this like just scathing, just like fuck you to the industry. And it's weird, guys. It's really it weird. It really is. I, yeah, bloated raccoon weird. Like, it's definitely odd. It feels like it could have been made earlier. It almost felt like he wrote all these songs 20 years prior, 30 years prior, and, like, put them in a shoebox, and then, like, was like, oh, no. now I'm feeling good about it. I'm gonna say something even ruder about it, and that <laughs> it's, like, it's not even like he wrote these songs years ago. It's, like, that... He just, I mean... Wrote them in a weekend? Yeah, he wrote them in a weekend, exactly. And then there was, like, no sense of... Because he'd been putting out 15-track albums for a decade at this point. And so he was like, there was no sense of, oh, this isn't good enough, I shouldn't put it on here. 
you know, I feel like earlier in his career, there was some pretty good quality control happening, even on those very long albums. There were, there were more things to come back to. On the last GJ, you have some of his worst lyrics yeah. ever that yeah, are just like, it's just like unforgivable. The there isn't a single DJ. song on there that I can like say that I want to hear even a little. Yeah. Kevin maybe has one. I, well, Dreamville is like... The it, production is the better production than the production is Right. They produced it like it's this Beatles magnum opus, but then the song that they did that to is, is doesn't hold up to what they tried to turn it into. And, but also when you look at like have love will travel <laughs> is that seriously your song title also the man who loves women yeah no yeah oh that uh, song like oh yeah oh, I mean, that's like, like songwriting 101 like you would turn that into teacher and he's like this is bad go back lost children has like cool moments but like even that can't it, it can't be saved and the thing is earlier in research week i was like listening to it just kind of like haphazardly and i was just like you know, I don't know if there's, like, it's hard to pick a worse song, but then, like, the more times I listened to it, things came into focus, and then I really focused in on Joe, one of the worst songs he's ever done. My name's Joe, I'm the CEO. You so put weird. pretty girls in the video. It's and just so weird. Anytime he does, like, an affected voice, like on this, or on Spike, or on a couple <laughs> other places, like, it's just kind of like, Tom, I know you, like... Please stop. Yeah. I know you acted Please in clap. The Postman, but, like, come on, dude. Like, there's only so many characters you could what do. What were you gonna say, Nico? No, I just... I can't think of a single song and you're even singing parts of them to me and I'm just like, I don't even know. Yeah. I'm also feeling really satisfied that I got this sort of right. Yeah. Oh, giving. totally. Uh, I, will, I will say. Look, I have a couple other things that are like in this area, but I, if you want to put last DJ last, I am so happy yeah. to do that with you. If I, and, I, and I do think it was a really tough, like generally, it, I mean, I wouldn't have put the solo albums in here. I agree with the, it's all part of a vein. It all sort of, uh -huh. everyone contributed, but I think there's some, uh, like sunshine moments on those that just sort of take the legs out of some of these other albums. So yeah. it was hard to decide if I like took them out and did it. And then versus putting them back in, it was mm -hmm. a significantly different, uh, like ranking mm -hmm. yeah for sure well the biggest thing for me is that like I have another thing that could go there but if we're all in agreement on the last DJ wait wait, wait now I want to know no, no let's, yeah. just, let's just lock in number 16 <laughs> the last DJ let's at least mm -hmm. do that and we're talking about 15 you nominated she's the one which is fascinating to me look I don't let's talk about she's the one okay. sure um, I don't love this album but it does have a couple of things on here where I'm I'm enjoying what's happening as Anyone who's listened to multiple episodes may know I am a huge Fleetwood Mac fan. And so I really like that he got Lindsey Buckingham to do backing vocals on this record on like three different songs. The The opening track, Wall Circus, is a rewrite of multiple better songs that he's put out before. But I still like what's going on with it. And then I, I, I am into like Grew Up Fast, uh, Climb That Hill. Like there's, there's decent songwriting happening here still and this is with rick rubin so yeah. like you hear the the drum machine on angel dream and i'm it's just so out of place for him that i kind of like it still yeah 
Um, I'll say honestly, she's the one kind of surprised me this week. Genuinely, like the fact that uh, "Climb That Hill" is like such a solid, like late era single, and also "Change the Locks" is a Lucinda Williams cover on there, and like it's just, it fits him so perfectly. Mm-hmm. You have that long, yeah, long drawn out country guitars. It feels so heartbreakersy, even when he does the fucking Beck cover later on with "Asshole." And the biggest thing about this is that I really like that Beck cover yeah. too, because he kind of takes. He takes what was originally because isn't doesn't Beck have like a filter on his vocal a little bit? It kind of sounds like it's like playing off of a tape, almost kind of. Whereas like this one feels a lot more clear. It's it's recorded again like a Beatles track. Yeah, and I I like the clarity that it's it it, that gives it. and but I still, I mean, there's, we're talking about, like, medium ranking album. songs. Exactly. Like, you know? California, I don't know what that one's about. It's but like, terrible. Yeah, but even, like, honestly, A Zero from Outer Space is so wackadoo goofy. That's that, the, isn't that the one that's like, I'm insane. And he's talking about kicking the dog and snatching wigs. I don't know, it's one of the things where, like, I like it when he lets go a little bit. Like, I'm kind of okay with it. It was the only album on here, on the list, that I had never heard before. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Was not moved. It doesn't have to go extremely high for me. I'm going to fight for it a little bit. All right, yeah. But the one thing I will say, and this might be controversial, the only other nomination I have is this little album called Mojo. And the biggest thing... It was <laughs> he has been waiting to tell me that for like 45 minutes. Just so everyone's clear, that's like a 45 minute climax that has just come to head. Yeah. Earlier, Nico mentioned that she like rediscovered that mm-hmm. this week and wants it on vinyl. Mm-hmm. Which, okay, so I will say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will say. I, totally I, stealing your thunder. It's amazing. I see both sides of this Dude. and I'm gonna let you keep going in a second but I just want to say that I she finished <laughs> I as far as like like you know putting on a record and having like great atmosphere I understand enjoying this album the the musicianship that's here all of the guitar it's solos a, it's a blues rock it's album. a blues yeah. rock album and so if you're looking yeah. if you're looking for like a it's it's a pretty good blues rock album if you're looking for that right great but if you're looking for Tom Pat Tom Petty the like incredible pop rock songwriter that's not here yeah somebody um, said that Mojo was not about uh, the songs except that they were songs that the band wanted and wanted to play like they were songs to be played out loud like songs to like jam to mm-hmm. and so that yeah makes sense. and it does yeah. make sense that it's much higher up for me because I am a blues rock kind of a girl like mm-hmm. if you look at my uh, you Rolling know, Stones collection yes <laughs> right like yeah. you look at those and I generally speaking I hate everything that came out of the 70s I don't like Fleetwood Mac like Oof. there's yeah Oof. no it's tough and so um, my musical tastes tend to lean towards more of this, like, three dudes in a garage with, like, more of a bluesy tin can sound. Than... Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, why Mojo is significantly higher for me, but not too, too much higher, because, again, there's right. a lot of other... Well, one, it's another 15-track album. Mm-hmm. And, again, I think we could say that regardless of album, 
Tom Petty never needs 15 tracks. You 12, 10, you know, like it you does, can get to your point. It does, and it picks up over time. Like, they were, sing- they were all, like, 10 tracks, and then it, like, hit this 12 point, and then they just it's started... It's like, well, we have CDs now, and you fill the CDs. all over like, the place. I don't think you do. Uh, and, yeah, this is the biggest thing. We're like, then you have, like, Je- uh, Jefferson Jericho Blues, which opens the album with the harmonica. It's like, like, you're talking about Thomas Jefferson having sex with one of his slaves. Like, That's the other th- thing. They're, like, 60. Like, they're, right. they're 60 years old, and so I think to hear them play... Play. I don't know. It's. I also have this like Joe Biden uncle feeling to it. <laughs> I said that to Bree, and she was just like, "No, I don't. I don't think that's true at all." But I just like your, you know, your uncle who like plays guitar and like had a lot of mojo and like, yeah, no. Yeah. And so it does. It. It's very. Um, Loose, like you were saying, like the production on it isn't super mm-hmm. great, and it just feels like well, I, we got drunk at the wedding and we wanted to show everybody how <laughs> we yeah, yeah, yeah. play these songs. Well, I I think I was reading that they tried to to make they tried to not do overdubbing. Like they played the song, and if it wasn't right, they just started over and did a completely mm. new take. Yeah, and so I think that's why it's so loose is because there are a lot of albums in this discography that are oh, quite produced. Yeah. A few that are, I would agree, are overproduced. Um, and so I think that's another reason why Mojo is resonating with you so much is because it is just musicianship on display. Yeah. There's yeah. not, like, a ton of producer tricks. There's not a lot of, like, weird synths happening. Mm-hmm. Which can either work or completely kill songs here. Right. And, like, there were times, like, at near the end of I Should Have Known It, Mike Campbell's just ripping that guitar a new yeah. one. Like, he is, like, soloing like a bad mother. I'm just like, holy shit, this is awesome. That's There's a couple solos on First Flash of Freedom, too, where I'm like, okay, I fucks with this. Yeah. Like, this well, is... Well, he did. He replaced Lindsey Buckingham at some point. Mike Campbell did. Oh, he did? Yeah. In, no. like, the touring? In, yeah, the yeah. Towards the, like, the, like, in the 2000s, right? Yeah. But he... So I, I see a lot of overlap there. And so I do. I think that, like, the Tom Petty and the Heartbreaker stuff is, like, the grittier version. Uh-huh. I guess Stevie Nicks always said that she wanted to be in the, the Heartbreakers. Yep, and they kept true. saying, like, no no chicks allowed. <laughs> um, <laughs> but right. I do. I like that, like, raw, like, grittier blues, like, swamp rock sound. And then some of the... But, like, yeah. honestly, if you... Uh, try, if you told me to sing a note from US-41 with the gun in my head and say, tell no, him, I tell him I love him. Because, like, that's like, <laughs> I would be able to. And also, the thing is that, like, Blast DJ has Joe, which is such a heavy anchor that, like, weighs that album down. This has Don't Pull Me Over. Which is just awkward. Which is this awkward kind of reggae-style, like, you know, like, Don't Pull Me Over, Mr. Officer it's thing. Rough. Yeah, it's no, 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 the... but that's another one that I was like, how did this end up in, like, right? a the fucking album? blues album, too! But, like, yeah. this, you could have put this somewhere else. So sometimes, I, I feel like that happens uh, a couple of times, where you're like, how did this song end up here? Like, I'm always shocked that Breakdown is actually, like, from the first album, because it just right. sounds right, 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 yeah. so different. Like, Breakdown could have oh, been so on good. Mojo. yeah. Well, in, like, the, a really tin can kind of way, uh, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Uh, we're 22 minutes in. Oh. You uh, voted She's the One, but I have it pretty high. I yep. voted Mojo. You have it pretty high. Taryn, either you could deal break or there's just something else. Come on, Hypnotic Eye, you guys. Yeah. No, no, I'll agree with yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, okay. Look, look, <laughs> Hypnotic Eye, in my opinion, I, I... You know what? No, I'm not even going to say that. There's just... I mean, it's it's They're slightly trying to do a Doors better. album, kind of. Yeah, and there's like, you can you can hear where they're going for. They're going more back towards songwriting than like they had on Mojo. Garage shit. Yeah. But I just, I just like the the. I mean, he's quite old at this point. <laughs> yes. And and the vocal takes aren't selling it. They are wrong. And the the riffs are like 
there, but there, there's just something, something manufactured about this record. And I just, even, even like the highlights question mark, like fault lines, red fault, river. Yeah, fault lines is good. It's going to have a nice little like groove to it. I, I that's when like, I get the doors feel from it. So I'm, keyboard, yeah, yeah. I'm into, I, I'm into the, the riffs on you get me high a little bit. Kind of like shadow people, but like shadow people. I don't even remember. Yeah. Yeah. Shadow people. It's kind people, of a drawn out little rock. Yeah. It's, a, it's yeah. a little more subdued. Yeah. But still, I mean, I just, if, if, if there is disagreement on these other ones, oh, yeah. I think hypnotic eyes are really I think we can all easy. Agree yeah, another easy bottom choice. Well, I have a feeling. Let's like maybe maybe Nico and I can kind of like hold off on like our two alternate picks. We'll like maybe put them side by side a little bit later on. But because honestly, like as much as we feel these ways about things, I think we can agree on some other generic ass albums. Oh, for sure. That have no, occurred. Yeah. So number sixteen, last DJ. Number fifteen, Hypnotic Guy. I think we're good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but here's the thing. So here's the weird. I want to talk him talk about Tom Petty's career as a general. It's like he has these moments that strike. And then he repeats these moments over a couple albums. Yeah. Like, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, the solo album, I mean, the first album, is like kind of this like burst of like, it's kind of like, you know, raw, it's like a mix of the Ramones and the Birds. It's kind of like, you know, 60 psychedelic with a little bit of punk attitude. Like, I get it. It's great. And then uh, You're Gonna Get It from 1978 is like the same album again. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's kind of the things where it's like, cool, you're still in a good songwriting place, but it's... Kind of, and the same thing happens with uh, Damn the Torpedoes and then the two albums after, Hard Promises and Long After Dark. They're kind of like rewrites of this new icon he had. There's just a lot of that in his discography. He hits a high point and then he repeats it for a couple of albums. Like, that's the thing that he does. So, when I think about it, some of those generic, like, rehash albums kind of come to mind uh, when I think about Lesser Ones. So, uh, let me just talk about Echo real quick. So, Echo was the album from fucking 1999. It was the Rick Rubin produced kind of, like, in the alternative rock era, whatever kind of thing. And, you know, as as Taryn pointed out, and I had that moment earlier this week, man, did no one tell him he was singing about elephant balls at one point on this fucking album? I cannot believe, believe, because this is a Heartbreakers record, which means that he had, at this point, I think, five other band members. Yeah. And a producer, and none of them were like, maybe not with the Elephant Balls lyrics. On Rhino's maybe wait, wait, Maybe we just leave this song off the record. I mean, I, I just, I, I cannot believe <laughs> that went to print. Yeah. And especially, it especially is upsetting to me because honestly, this album surprised me with one of my probably like top 10 oh. uh, Tom Petty songs in Room, Room at the Top. Wow, it's pretty, I isn't it? really yeah. like it. It's it's it it starts out pretty, like you know, subtle, and then the like pounding, almost like Ben Folds style, mm-hmm. like piano comes in, and then there's like a guitar solo followed by an organ solo, and it just like it really does it for me. And for me, but swinging then, off this one, this very mm, simple, so yeah. pretty. I always say that that's a great um, song to have like a baseball most... package yeah. too, the, like the team who didn't win the World Series. Uh-huh. Like, oh, we tried super hard. Yeah. No, I agree, and it's hard for me because a lot of the albums overlap. Like, I mm-hmm. really feel like there are songs that, like, if you had waited like three more months, you could have gotten these other two songs that you wrote. And it, there's just a lot of overlap. There aren't mm-hmm. a lot of albums that, like, all ten of them are amazing. Right, and uh, he does a, and to his credit, he does a really good job making sure there's like a fucking banger on every single every album. Single every, like when I put yeah. on Into the Great Wide Open for the first time this week, I was just like, I don't know how this one, and then it opens with Learning to Fly. I'm like, oh shit, we're fucking here. I love it. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but Echo also sounds like 1999, which was mm. not exactly the, you Most. know, the best time for us in music land. Like uh-huh. there were some really interesting things happening, and I do, so I think it sounds like 19, like 
Third Eye Blind could have put out this album, basically. <laughs> totally. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yes. Like, or like, uh, well, uh, what is the, not Soundgarden, the other one about, you know, truly, madly, deeply. Oh, like, you mean... Right? Like, like Savage Garden? Savage yes, Garden. yes, yes. Like, it just, it doesn't matter. It, yeah. it just kind of sounds like an album that a more rock and roll band, less alternative band would have yeah. put out in 1999. And as I pointed and it out to so Taryn, that it, sounds like, yeah. it sounds like uh, XRT distilled. Yes, yes. I can, I can imagine this whole album, like, coming up, new song by Tom Petty on XRT. Yes, you know, like, exactly. I just imagined that happening. So, I mean, the thing is, like, it's basically, if we're not talking about those other two albums, it's like this or, like, Long After Dark for me. Like, I don't have strong particular feelings. I am like, going to fight you hard oh, on Long really? After Dark, actually. That's, okay. that's, Long After Dark is pretty high for me. Really? We can talk wow. about it now if you want to. <laughs> okay, well, wait, wait, before we do anything else, can we maybe agree on Echo? Unless there's someone else at number 14? No, we can put it. Yeah, we can okay. put we can put Echo down here. I just it just I, I think if we're putting Echo here, for me it's hard to find something else that goes below Mojo. I like Mojo, but it's not it doesn't have the same impact. Well, I think we can be very cordial here. I think maybe if we put Mojo at number 13, since it's a little bit higher than what we previously said, uh-huh. I can maybe put She's the One at number 12 at that one there. Yeah. I still have a great affinity for it. It's surprising me so genuinely this week, but I have a feeling if we're going to be at odds about this... Yes, no, and I think we're all leaning towards the earlier stuff anyway, and so yeah. I think you just start taking Well, this. and the thing is, I don't think we're leaning towards the earlier stuff. I think the earlier stuff genuinely is better. You know, because I feel like he, again, we talk about that one thing, and I feel like I'm going to mention it again. A lot of times when a lot of people start out as fans, they start out as songwriters, they always want to have something to say. But when it becomes your career, when it becomes your fucking job, after a while you kind of become like, you know, it, it's your day job. You You're, write songs because you have to write songs. Mm-hmm. It becomes more of a compulsion. It becomes more of a craftsman than you are a songwriter, you know? Although, uh, the story about uh, Mary Jane's Last Dance is one of my favorites because he oh. had to write that one, too. He had to? He had to. He It was contractual. They, he had to put out the Greatest Hits album in 93, uh-huh. and then he had to add a new song to it, and they were like, no, I don't want to do this. Like, why would you make me... How do you do this? How do you pick a song that's going to be like the one? Uh-huh. Um, and he almost didn't do it. And then I think it was Rick Rubin who was like, no, 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 you're going to play this and it's going to be unbelievable. And it's the album that's like sold more than any other album. Oh, yeah. It's got like 12 times yeah. platinum. Yeah. 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 And also, but also, I mean, we'll talk about the Happy Hour Minnie's but Mary Jane's Last Day is such a banger of a fucking really song. Let's dance to Mary Jane. I just think how different all of those bangers are. And we'll talk about them. Yes. But they're just so different different and then when you hear them in other bands songs mm-hmm. like he's been sampled a fair amount too mm-hmm. for well other. also last dance for mary jane you i was listening to it earlier and i was like this sounds exactly like californication like exactly like californication which i believe came out multiple years later yes, yeah. yes 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 um but yeah you you hear him all over the place cool well, listen, <laughs> number 16, Last DJ, number 15, Hypnotic Eye, number 14, Echo, number 13, Mojo, number 12, Songs and Music from She's the One, we're in a good spot. I'm actually kind of amazed we kind of got it up to here, because now we start getting at the knives. Now we start getting a little bit cutty. Uh, now, I threw something out there, but I really kind of want to hear, Nico, if you had your druthers, number 11 of the remaining albums, oh. what would you tell us in there? Hard Promises is tough. Okay. But... Uh, long after dark or southern accents 
this this kind of area. Yeah, we're now we're in a like uh, an iffy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, long after dark is not that high up for me. So now I'm very curious for Terrence to very of it. curious. Yeah. Okay, so I love you got lucky. It sounds like a eurythmic song. Yes. But it it like completely works. It's again like su- very much surprised me and is probably like in my top ten. And I just I'm really into. I think one story town. Um, he does, he uses that template better on other records, but it's still, I really enjoy listening to it. There's some great guitar work from Campbell. What else? Oh, Finding Out. Finding Out feels, almost feels like a, a, an arcade fire, mm-hmm. like, like indie strum rock, along, like yeah. strum along, like, and then how it, it like, it, it builds and explodes at the end, like uh-huh. very much feels like, I don't know, it just really really works for me. Um, I like Straight Into Darkness. I like Change of Heart. I just like, I think this album is is pretty solid for me. So what we're doing, de- I mean, I think it's essentially that we're debating, what, the number 11 spot, and you just thought you could just take it away with your money and your cocaine. But let me tell you something. <laughs> but later, okay, so here's the thing. You mentioned that, though, and I just kind of, I feel bad. I feel bad because, like, Again, we're dealing with 16 albums, so things are going to be a little confusing. Why are we not talking about Let Me Up, I've Had Enough? I'm sorry, that immediately jumps to mind in terms of just random-ass fucking albums. This is the album that they did right after they were touring with Bob Dylan, uh-huh. and it was kind of a humbling experience for Tom Petty after he had a band meeting many years ago where it's like, guys, I'm the fucking leader of the band. And like, okay, fine, whatever. And But, like, here he is being the sideman for Bob Dylan because he's fucking Bob Dylan. You're going to be the sideman for him. And, like, Bob Dylan co-wrote Jammin' Me, which is like, okay. Uh, which is like, but, but earlier today when I heard it, like, you know, take back your Vanessa Redgrave, take back your Eddie Murphy. I'm like, what the fuck? fuck is this song I was about? Take back your Israeli torture. I'm like, what the fuck, song? Uh, and th- But the thing is, then you have Runaway Train, this little, like, electro-pop number that's kind of thrown in the do 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 And it's just like... Yeah, but again, once yeah. you get past that electro intro where that is very 1987, mm-hmm. it sounds just like a Tom Petty song. Yeah. It but- sounds like a Tom Petty song that he's written, again, like, four other right. times better. But this is still like the the third zero copy, you know, Xerox copy of fucking uh, Damn the Torpedoes at this point. And like all mixed up is like a fine mm-hmm. song, but like I don't yeah. know the rest well, of it's this funny album. Because especially because Southern Accents is so produced. It has it has by far the most musicians credited. Yes. And like, the most texture and the most like, color of yeah. any time. Yeah. Uh, which is both a good and a bad thing. We'll get to it. But let me up I've had enough. They were like there's they didn't use a producer. There are no additional musicians, musicians yeah. at all. It is just Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. This was made strictly by them. And I I think especially knowing how much producers can bring out of him on records that we will be talking about later, it's like so much precursor. It's always precursor. Build up the drama, baby. Ah. Um, it's just like there's just yeah, there's not a lot here. It's just it's, there's just some Tom Petty songs, right. and mm-hmm. there's they didn't really do anything to make them stand out from the pack. And the the technology of 1987 isn't doing them it's any very favors limiting, either. And it's very I weird. don't I don't have any feelings really, truthfully about kind of, it. And it's sort of it's another one of those albums like Echo where I feel like anybody could have played this. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. this is it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. 
but it's, I think you said, it's, like, forgettable. Like, it's just, like... Yeah, and that's, like, the biggest thing for me. Like, as much as, like, I don't love Long After Dark, it still has Change of Heart on there. It at least has something going for yeah. it. And on this album, I don't know what what I'm getting out of it. Like, I mean, the title track is the best song, but even that is not... It's, like, even like that, it's, like, some there's, part... There's 50 better The title track is still, like, a basically an album track on any other fucking Tom right. Petty album, so... Listen, I agree. Runaway Train is the only thing out there salvageable for me. We're great. Love it. Fantastic. Guys, we're blazing through because we haven't come to the really rough stuff yet. So that's great. Number 11. Let me up. I've had enough. Okay. Listen, honestly, because I know how much Taryn and I disagree about most music, which is ironic <laughs> when he makes me uh, mix discs and they're like 100% spot on. It's just uh-huh. magical. All I give a shit at this point is that like three albums make top five. So oh. if that doesn't happen, then I might be terribly distressed. But this whole middle section. As long as you weren't expecting Mojo be, to be fucking. No, top no, three. no, 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 no. <laughs> and that's why I said I think it's a little unfair with the solo albums because those move up pretty high for me and then they disrupt it, some of the other and stuff. And I'm not nominating it here, but I would say almost with an exception, Highway Companion. Because oh, like yes. there's it's, like some good songs on there. There's some good quality songs. But like I feel like Full Moon Fever and Wildflowers are, like, a different game altogether. Highway Companion is just, like, there's some good stuff on there. It's not, like, change in my life. So you're saying you're not nominating it? No, I'm just talking about it. Because I could nominate it here. Wait, really? Highway Companion? Really? Yeah, I think Jack is... Jack is fucking great. Is fucking great. It's like it's like a secret little Paul Simon number. Do you know? It's like, it's like the only time that, that... It's the only time that Tom has given, like, a breezy like very light vocal take and he's just he's multi-tracked and then there's the there's the very distinct like riffs that break out of that solid vocal line but they're still acoustic there's not you know which is why i think i like it so much again i i really like when he breaks out of his mold Again, we listened to 190 songs for this, so there's there was a lot of things that kind of blurred together, um, like the rest of this album. I Saving Grace is solid. I like Square One. A square One is is like a nice little you know acoustic like, thing again. You know but how they always like, tell you on a test if you want to guess the answer. That's most usually the answer to guess C. I feel like they often put their best songs towards the top mm-hmm. of their albums, and then they do start to fall apart. Whereas I think other musicians will try to bury it and mix it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I agree. I think that some of the like I think some of the earlier songs up on the top square one in particular is is pretty solid on that but it also sounds like something he wrote maybe even on a ukulele like in one of those vans uh-huh right like it, it's this is any better solo has, album yeah, yeah part of it has like a beachy nomadic feel to it but it, it's not my it's the third of the solo albums for sure for me yeah um so again I'm this is just trimming fat it's definitely the point. dark night rises of the Tom yeah <laughs> Yes, I mean, okay. I... I don't have strong feelings. Uh, yeah, it it doesn't... There's not a ton to come back to here. Great, love it, fantastic. Okay, I, we've had a very good debate, and the thing is that we're talking about these albums, we're talking about 16, we're kind of blowing through them a little bit quickly, but guys, I think it's fair to say, you know, we're very well-rounded in our opinions. If you're going to 16 albums, there's only so many that you can get through as highlights. Well, yeah, yeah, there's only so many tracks that can that can differentiate themselves mm-hmm. from each other. I mean, there are other, there are, especially the last couple of albums we've talked about, there are other enjoyable things on here. They're just, there's not a ton that's distinct. Yeah, and I think it's really hard when you put out this many albums, like you keep saying, this is the most albums you've reviewed. This is an artist that has done work, like a body of work for decades, as long as I've been on the planet. 
Like, how do you... There are going to be albums that are full of garbage. Like, it's just right? inevitable. Yeah. It's just, you know... It's just part of the game. Right. But when you pull songs out of great albums and you still have a two-disc set, you know what I mean? Right. Like, that's... Fuck. There's plenty of good stuff left we can put at the top. Oh. I'm not worried. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're at number nine. Oh, number nine. Now, what do we got, friends? What do we got? Who wants to toss out a nomination for our number nine album of the ones that are remaining? Terrence, I'm, really? I'm looking. I'm looking, and I That was such a good maneuver. I'm really happy you did that. I have an answer. You don't think you have an answer? No, I do. Oh. I do have an answer, and I don't think it's going to be super controversial, given where we are in this ranking. Aesthetically. I think it's it's time to do You're Gonna Get It. It has yeah? to be. It has to be, it's, though, it's, right? It's, you know, there are, again, there's like a couple nice songs on here. I think the title track, mm-hmm. it like really rocks. Magnolia is nice. And uh, I Need to Know is pretty great. Again, a nice little rocking number, but there's uh, but there's I forget nothing. That album. There's That's nothing right. really revolutionary here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a really short, short album. Like all the songs move really, really fast. This is one of the albums that I would dissect and throw songs other places mm-hmm. because um, I need to know is a great one of those. He's jumping off an amp kind of like out songs. Like that is the song for a band that is known for their live shows, that fits the bill, 100%. Mm-hmm. I need to know. Listen to Her Heart is also a very beautiful song. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of his better, um, it would make like one of my top 10 songs. Mm, right, absolutely. It's, it's, um, it feels very McCartney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and I, the other thing I think about uh, You're Gonna Get It, and again, why I'm not super married to it, is it feels sort of like... Um, uh, he had this like fascination with like cowboys and cowboys who played guitars, and then that became like gritty rock stars. And this just feels like uh, a gritty rock. It's fast, like it's it's. There are three songs on it that are great, but they should have been on another album. Mm-hmm. But yeah, listen to her heart. I need to know. And too much ain't enough actually is also great, but it's like a minute and thirty nine seconds. Like it's right. you know, yeah, it's a quickie. So I was looking at these albums though, but I honestly I think that before we get into a point of genuine consideration or like consternation or just fighting uh i would say, <laughs> I was, I was say my heart is racing now we're getting to the yeah. part where i'm like, like I, i'd say you're gonna get it is like the last safe choice i really do because after that I, th- I think we start getting into personal favorites so at the very least can we all agree you're gonna get it number nine totally all right cool all right so guys let's just do a brief recap i'd say we do one more slot and then we'll take a quick uh, break before we do our part two episode but right now for the ranking that means we have number 16 the last dj number 15 hypnotic eye number 14 echo number 13 mojo number 12 songs for and music from she's the one number 11 let me up i've had enough number 10 highway companion number nine you're gonna get it which leaves us with the self-titled dan the torpedoes hard promises long after dark southern accents full moon fever into the great wide open and wildflowers so we're halfway through. I think we could do one more slot. And honestly, I just read off the names of those albums. Uh-huh. And looking at all of those, and I, every time I read one of those album titles, moments and songs and things like that came to mind. I Sorry, babe, but Long After Dark is the one thing on there that just kind of weighed down a little bit for me. It was just... It's like, the thing is, like, there are moments I on there. And the thing is, we're talking about good albums at this point. We really, really are. But, like, of these remaining ones, it's like this... Maybe the debut. I don't know. Like I'm just kind of like kind of sitting around with a couple different yeah. thoughts. Walk me through. Well, I think I think the debut is coming up soonish, mm-hmm. if not right now. Um, but for me, I just I think 
Hard Promises is a rougher album than Long After Dark. The Waiting is a classic, yeah. but I don't love it that much. I love it. Um, <laughs> it's I, so, think, yeah. I think that the vocal takes on Woman in Love ruin what could have been mm-hmm. a very nice song because there's multi-tracks on the chorus and they are not in key. <laughs> and it's like really difficult for me to listen to. I know it's 1981, so like obviously they weren't pitch correcting, but like a producer should have caught that and taken out found the take that was causing that dissonance because it really bugs me. I'm, um, On the flip side, though, I will say I love Night Watchmen. It's really? Pretty. Yeah. I love all of the, like, guitar picking that's going it's on in there. Yes. Yeah. It's very it's rich. It's very rich. Mm-hmm. It's, it's and the Stevie Nicks duet in Cider. It's fine. Yeah. Satisfactory. Yeah. Stop Dragging My Heart Around is so much better. Oh, yeah. There's that no Insider kind of lets yeah. me down. Which was a song that he wrote and was on her uh, debut solo album, uh, Belladonna, mm-hmm. which was, of course, another one by producer Jimmy Iovine. So they had a connection. They knew what was going on. But, yeah, and that's just such a great fucking song. And so, like, there's that. And it's weird how, like, Insider and The Criminal Mind, there was almost, like, a theme developing on this record for me, like, kind of in the back half, mm-hmm. which is interesting because I feel like he's a guy who could do a theme album pretty good. And then he did it with The Last DJ. I'm like, oh, never mind you fucking suck at this shit <laughs> like, you know like it's just, it was so weird like i wanted him to do like a story he felt like a guy who could like do a shitty like basic ass rock opera but make it sing somehow and like it just kind of never happened so like there's still a lot on uh, hard promises i do like king's road honestly does it for me like that's just a big fucking I mean, chorus this is i mean it sounds like a bunch of other tom petty ones but it's one of those above average ones that just like nails it for me it really really does he also has a song called king's highway that i think has a better chorus oh so Oh, damn. No, yeah. just, it, it doesn't... <laughs> yeah, I know. I, well, Taryn and I never agree, and so I'm kind of with Evan. I think Long After Dark sort of edges it out a little bit, but... You mean the down, down Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's that's fine. Okay. I can be outvoted. Okay. Well, in that case, I'd say let's go ahead and we're doing the difficult decisions now. Uh, long after... Oh, no, no. I'm still feeling good. My heart is only moderately racing. Okay. There's oh. a lot of good stuff still on the table, so I'm still feeling pretty good about life here. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to is, hear it. No, no, no. This is good. This is a big... Okay, well, just out of curiosity, if we nominate and we just locked in and outvoted Taryn for number eight, Long After Dark, Nico, what would you say is number seven? You know, it's hard because I I agree. um, I don't know which one of you just said it, though, that... um, The ranking is the hardest. The first album is really hard um, because there are two songs that I adore on that album, and so it's really hard to... Are they the singles? Yes. Yes, I mean, here's I mean the American thing. Girl They're is so like, goddamn good. It's like, how did this come out of a human? Why is it like, the last song on the album? It's just weird. It should it should be the first one. I know. I don't know. I don't know. I kind of like it because to me, American Girl feels like a culmination. Um, yeah, a culmination. So it's like it's like an introduction to the rest of his career. For sure. No, okay. I think that American Girl is a character and like a storyline that he repeats through. Ev- there's some American Girl appears in every album. There's, like, a yes. version of yeah, a girl yeah, yeah. who has, like, a hope and dream to get or somewhere bigger. Jesus, and or, yes. yeah. mm-hmm. But she kind of reappears. So, but yes, I don't know. So I also, unlike Nico, love the 70s. And this album, definitely, it's obviously Tom Petty's songwriting is here already, out the gate. But there's also some very 70s production things happening, including all of the uh, tight harmony vocals. Yes. Like what you get on Stranger Than the Night. Mm-hmm. I fucking love that song because that feels that feels 
uh, almost like my Sharona kind of, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, that yeah. very, that very like tight, piercing right. tight harmonies. Staccato, yeah. Um, and then like, I, I like Luna. Sure. I'm no. And I, lie. and listen, it, I, I am only really going with the tide here with the kind of the feelings. Cause when I said some other albums, you guys groaned quite a bit, um, <laughs> but I still think that, um, hard promises has got to go soon. I'd be okay. Uh, right. If, if the first album eventually went, but I, I have bones to pick with like Southern accents. I, there's just, oh. so, but I think it's, it's for the same kind no, of. No, but I want to, I want to hear what's up with Southern accents. Well, I think it's one of the albums that had too many cooks in the kitchen. It just starts oh, to feel God. <laughs> like, I'm not sure what's going on. It sounds, I mean, it don't come around here no more. It's just so like forced contemporary. Like somebody was like, do this weird thing. It's I, a Tom Petty song that has a sitar instead of a guitar. That's just really all it is. No. Really... What else it is, is the template for all of the quote-unquote 1980s pop that we've been getting for the last decade. Modern. That's. I think that's part of why that song, I like it, but I, I it bugs me a little because it's like drum machine, reverb, hey! All of it is like exactly what Jack Antonoff has been doing for his entire career. <laughs> right. You're mentioning so how Bleachers like, is basically Tom Petty reborn. Well, That's Bleachers hilarious. isn't just Tom Petty That's reborn. Bleachers, Bleachers is Southern accents. <laughs> so, okay, so the other thing about Southern accents, because I did watch that like four and a half hour yeah, long documentary, which Peter Bogdanovich. It's yeah. actually, it's if you can, if you have a lot of time in a hotel room to kill, which I did over the last couple of weeks. Um, you can watch that in several sittings in the bathtub. But this album apparently uh, took the longest Three years. to make. Yeah. And they tried to do it by themselves, and then they brought in different producers. And so I think you feel that in just how disjointed Southern Accents feels like a Raggedy Ann doll to me. Like a bunch of shit that was sewn together that like resembles She's... a Tom Petty doll. <laughs> but it was not... Honestly, that's kind of its charm, though, because... I appreciate Southern Accents because, like, when I when I first got it, when I had all the albums and I saw the cover and it's this, you know, guy, you know, sewing, you know, sewing fields, and then there's, you know, it's called Southern Accents. I was like, oh, this is gonna be like his, you know, other side of town. It's gonna be his Nebraska by Bruce Springsteen, his acoustic Southern roots, whatever. No, it's this fucking it weird is. ass fucking psychedelic bullshit. Mary's got a brand new car. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> fucking love that song. How? I do. I do. I really How? love that song. And I, you know what? You know what? It's the horn. Will... It's the saxophone. That helps. <laughs> I, will... I will. I will give you that. I will give you that. It's a terrible Tom Petty song, but it's just a fun song. Mm -hmm. And so, like, the thing about this album is that. I like macro pop. Mm -hmm. I like when you throw everything at the wall and just like, there's so much happening with the orchestration and the production and there's different synth lines coming in and out. And that's what this album is. But I think that that was very uncomfortable for Tom Petty. Mm -hmm. And so it, none of the songs reach the heights. Even if I think that as an album, Personally, I think this is better than a couple of the other things we have left. I also understand that if we're talking about Tom Petty, this is, it's, it's a, it's a weird step and it, it doesn't even, it doesn't get called back either. It's this, this tiny little odd mm. microcosm of overproduction. And he very much was like, I hate this. And never did that again. Yeah. Never well, I mean, except again. with, like, Full Moon Fever, though, I would argue. Because, like, well, with Jeff Lynne, 
he explores a much. But there was a singular vision. Yes, I would. There agree was with that. Tom Petty and Jeff Lynne, and they were making this thing, and it worked really well. Whereas Southern Accents was there was Tom Petty, and he was kind of trying to find his Jeff Lynne, mm-hmm. and he tried a bunch of different people, and so it's it's pretty disjointed overall. Mm-hmm. So that's I mean I. For me, Southern Accents could go anywhere in the next, like, three slots. Right. Yep. And I, because of its boldness, because of its boldness, I give it just a little bit more, a little bit of an edge there on that end. But, like... But it has Spike on it. It does. Uh, oh, my God. Look at the albums we have left. Oh, this is so fucking That's what hard. I'm saying. So, uh, I feel like these albums for me, and there's still a couple left that I would consider, like, the serial part of the Lucky Charms. I'm... I, <laughs> right? Like, I, I'm still left with... So many marshmallows, like I'm just there's like I love least, that there are three at least three more albums that I'd be like, well, I know, and I think at there. this point though, now that we're down to this point, I think I know which ones they are. So, but like the more I look at it, uh, it's mm, it's it's hard for me because I I like if we put Southern Accents here, hard promises, promises has to go next. I think has to oh, go but next because uh, hard promises for me, remember, was yeah. below. Long After Dark, which we just I would buried. put Southern Accents above Hard Promises, personally. <sighs> I know, right? We're at the point! No, I'd let you do that. Okay. I would totally agree with that. If, if only because not being afraid of trying new things. Okay. Right, exactly. And that's the thing where, like, I feel like he at least used certain touchstones off Southern Accents later on in his career. And you can argue that the fact that him doing that doesn't necessarily make Southern Accents by itself a good album. Just called the Mojo album Southern Accents and made it better, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. It just felt more Rudy, right? Yeah. Like that's, and I think that was the goal with Southern Accents. I, actually, even I really believe that if they just had changed the name of the album, it would have been better because I think it set people up for an expectation that it was mm-hmm. going to sound like Gainesville, Florida. Uh, right. And, and instead it, it sounded like yeah. peak 1985. Right. Right. Yeah. Like it, there are times yep. on here where, and again, literally nowhere else in his discography do I think, oh, this is a little Talking Heads. You know, yeah. like, like there's a little bit of that, like, world beat that everyone was doing, doing in the, the time, 80s. Yeah. He should have put, uh, Don't Pull Me Over on Southern Accent. <laughs> that yeah, 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 much, yeah. Would yeah. better. Would, I, you know, here's, here's my argument. It would have been much better if he didn't write that song. But, um, the just... Vid- the video is pretty great. Oh, there's a video? There's a video. Oh. There's a lot of Tom Petty videos, and a lot of them are just, He was like, a video live. artist, though. Well, that's the thing. I think yeah. he, he was, he came out in and with MTV. Like, that... <laughs> He embraced it, unlike a lot of his other rock buddies, which were like, that's he just has fluff. such a state. It's the, I don't have many regrets in my life, uh-huh. but when I moved from Boston to Chicago, and I'm from Chicago, my family is here, Tom Petty was playing Wrigley Field, and I was like, I really should take my mom. My mom is in love with Tom Petty. My mom is 71 mm-hmm. now, right? Uh and I was like, I got to take her to the show. I got to take her to go see Tom fucking Petty. But she had a lot of health problems. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to wait. It's fine. Tom Petty will tour forever. That's what Tom Petty does. And then fucking Tom Petty dies. <laughs> so it's, again, Spoiler alert. I don't have a lot of regrets in my life. In fact, I probably can't name more than that. But 
That's I cool. should have I should have seen Tom Petty live, and I never did. Well, the, I, the one thing I don't think you can regret, though, is the ranking that we have finished for part one of this episode, which is number 16, The Last DJ, number 15, Hypnotic Eye, number 14, Echo, number 13, Mojo, number 12, She's the One, number 11, Let Me Up, I've Had Enough, number 10, Highway Companion, number 9, You're Gonna Get It, number 8, Long After Dark, number 7, Ha Promises, and number 6, <laughs> Southern Accents, which means we have five albums left, five slots. What are they going to be? you got to find out and listen to the part two. Uh, that's coming up right after this. But in the meantime, though, Nico, thank you for being here. Oh, Dude, man, this is that? great. We get to keep going. I know. <laughs> She's excited about part We're two. We're getting into the good. Oh, I know. I, I know. Talk- I'm... I am so happy, though, because, again, I really didn't think you and I were going to line up on any of this. And so the fact that so many of the ones I wanted to survive have survived, I'm I'm feeling very good about life. I'm feeling very good. Yes. Well, I'm excited about it. And if you're excited, do us a favor. Uh, please rank us on iTunes. Anytime there's a good ranking on there, it helps uh, elevate the visibility of the show. It's awesome. Or, you know, like us on Facebook or find us on Twitter or do all the different things you want to do because that's what we do here. In the meantime, though, guys... Keep on listening because you know that we'll be seeing it in part two. Good Bye. Hey, this is Kyle Hawk from It's All Dead, a podcast about the music we love and why we love it. Our show is a free-flowing conversation featuring a rotating cast of guests, including musicians, music journalists, and music enthusiasts, sharing how the music is still alive and well. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and then come visit us at itsalldead.com.